Right, over there. <coughs> um, normally I like to start with a story or a funny remark or something, but today is a bit different. I haven't got anything like that for you, I'm afraid. Um, there's a lot in today's verse, and I really just wanted to get stuck in. So if you've got your Bibles, could you please turn to 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11? I'll give you a moment to do that. Steph's there. Look at that. Prepared. Mike's there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mike, Mike cheated. <laughs> right. <clears throat> the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. <coughs> Sorry about that. So first, I actually want to skip to the end of the verse, um, or end of verse 11, which says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. For me, this part is what really matters. Obviously, all the verses really matter, of course, but I think if we can grasp this bit, then it will make the rest of it to um, easier to live out. Again, I'll say what it says. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Everything we do should be to the glory of God. Because everything forever and ever and ever and ever, and I could go on, belong to him. He deserves all the glory, all the praise, all of us falling onto our knees daily in, in awe of him. Now, living out our lives on our knees may not be the most practical, and singing his praises may not be possible to do all, all times, verbally I mean. I know that I would get kicked out of the library at uni for singing at the top of my voice, or I might get fired if I start singing Amazing Grace when someone just asked where the pants are. But, so, in this way, it's not practical to praise and worship him. That does not mean we cannot give him the glory at all times. From the beginning to the end of these verses, it gives us instructions on how we can give glory to God. And if we start to live our lives with that in mind, that we want to glorify God in all things, then the words in this verse will be easier to live by. <clears throat> so back to the beginning. These verses start with a pretty strong opening, which I think as Christians, we can gloss over sometimes and maybe forget. The end of all things is at hand, meaning the end times are upon us. We are in the end times. The second coming of Jesus is imminent. To be in a secular mind, this would probably be a pretty scary thought. There are many movies about this type of thing. The end of the world is made to look like a bleak wasteland for those few that have survived, whatever has caused it. So we are taught by these movies in this situation, we should sell all our belongings, cut our ties from the secular world, make shelters, have large stashes of food and water. For this is the correct way to prepare for the end of the world. As pointed out by Juan R. Sanchez, 
which is one of the books we're basing the series on, there have been many Christian movements or so-called religious leaders who have set dates for the end of the world and somehow gained a following from a few like-minded people wishing to be prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ in things that some people call doomsday cults and things like that. It seems to me they have read the first eight words of verse seven and then forgotten how to read. It does not say the end of the world, sorry, the end of all things are at hand, so run like mad, make sure you cut ties from the secular world or predict a date so you know when to expect Jesus. Yes, we're to be ready. Yes, we're to be prepared. But no, not like this. It is quite simple. We should read the first eight words, and then what? Yes, carry on reading. It says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Let me remind you that we are to do this for the glory of God. If you haven't noticed, let me tell you, my wife Emma is pregnant. Our due date is 27th of July. This is a prediction of when the doctors think the baby will arrive. Unlike the arrival of Christ, we can pinpoint this to about a two-week period, something like that, but we do not know the exact date. What we can do is make sure we're prepared and get things in place that we can. What I shouldn't do is build all my preparations onto that specific date. The baby might come earlier, so I need to make sure we're prepared for that. Or in true Emma and Neil style, it may come later. It would be no good me saying, right, time's up, 27th is here, off the hospital, it's time to start pushing. I don't think Emma would be too pleased. <laughs> this is similar to the second coming of Jesus. He has not said, I am coming back on such and such a date. We have no written date, but we need to be prepared. It's clearly written in Matthew 24, verse 36, that no one knows the end. It says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So like I've said, it is not good us running around panicking about when he is coming back. As said before, it is not self-controlled to put all our beliefs on one day and prepare just for that. He may come sooner, he may come later than we think. We are self-controlled and so minded to glorify God. I am going to keep mentioning God's glorification throughout so we can really gasp, grasp that it is for him we should live. Maybe gasp in my mind. Ooh. Mike shared with us last week that we had the chance, some of us had the chance to go to the leadership conference two weeks ago and we got to hear some really, really great words being spoken. Some of which were, same as Mike, relevant to my preach today. Slightly off topic, but I would really encourage anyone to listen to the talks from that week when they come out, especially Mike Betts, um, opening the conference, and then later on when Terry Virgo preached on prayer. They were really good, really good. But anyway, <coughs> what I was saying is I got to hear a lot of good things, um, one of which was Tom Shaw, who leads City Church in Canterbury. He was talking on the very subject of the end times, and he said a lot about our preparation and how we should be. One quote he said really stuck, struck me, and I'll share that with you in a minute. When we glorify God in our living, we stand out to others. In turn, people who take notice of us will see our reflection of Christ. Our difference in this world can hopefully lead people to seek out Christ. Now, the end times may not be worrying to us as Christians, as we will be with our God for eternity. But it should concern us, because the way we act affects the others around us, and we should want as many people saved as we can. 
Tom Shaw said this, talking of the second coming. For those not in Christ, it will not be amazing. I know that's short and maybe obvious, but that really made me stand up. For those not in Christ, it will not be amazing. In fact, sorry. (laughs) It's easy for us to see it as, as good because we get to be with the God we love. I don't fear this might happen. <laughs> the people out there, outside this church and the other churches, it's not going to be good when it comes back. The return of our Saviour is going to be good and glorious. It's going to be wonderful for us. But for the lost, for our friends, family who don't know Christ, it's going to be the worst thing imaginable. We can't imagine it. It's... I don't want to get carried away with doomsday preach or anything like that, but it is serious. It really is. Um, Also, moving on, also to come out of the conference, a phrase championed by Mike Betts was everyone a witness. This was a focal point of the week. For those who have Twitter and follow any of the relational mission leaders or trying to follow the leadership conference, would probably have noticed a hashtag, everyone a witness, being tagged onto a lot of tweets this week. What Mike meant by this was that every one of us needs to be a witness of our faith by the way we walk, talk, think and behave. He has a whole chapter devoted to it in his new book. Hopefully everyone got the email from Sam saying that Mike and him thought it would be good for the church to read this book, so they very kindly bought us all a copy. Well, every household a copy. Um, I have not had the chance to read the book yet. I got mine from Sam today for, for my illustration. Um, but from what is being said on the front and back cover, this is really good. I want to read a couple of things from the people. It says, I am convinced the future generations will find this in a, in a valuable resource in the years to come. That's Dave Holden. He leads New, New Ground's network of churches. Angela Kemp's Amazingly pathetic and such an amazing woman, just put invigorating and full of faith. And there are a couple more that just really speak of how good this book is, so I can really encourage everyone to read it when we get the copies. Our church is part of a bigger family of churches, relational mission, and a lot of the heart and soul that Mike Betts has really fills the church, the vision he's got is in this book. And it's really important for us to know the values that we are part of. One of those values is everyone a witness. We do not witness consciously. What I mean by this is we need to realise everything we do is a witness to someone, not just the things we speak out or we teach or when we tell our story, but every action. The lost world watches us and notices when we live for God and when seemingly to them we do not. We need to make sure all things we do glorify God and are a fitting witness to those around us. Let's glorify God in our actions. Peter calls us to be sober-minded and pray. If we start to think of the end of the world and we do not pray, we will panic. Without prayer, we will be like a soldier without a weapon or body armour or a helmet or without commanding officer. If you plonked a soldier into a war zone without these things, 
I'm pretty sure he would panic. But with these things, he could make a difference. Prayer is our weapon, our armour, our connection to God, our commanding officer. Panic does not glorify God. Instead, actually, I think, it shows that we do not trust his plan. I know panic can be a natural reaction to certain situations, but it is one I feel can be replaced by prayer. Juan R. Sanchez lists the things in which we should be praying for. At the top of his list is for God's glorification. Then second is that God will return and enter the hearts of the lost. He then goes on to say, pray for forgiveness and the strength to forgive others. And finally, just pray that we're not into sin in the first place. Pray all these things in preparation for the second coming. Don't cut yourself from the secular world and eat only tin food and put a tin foil in your hat or whatever the movies say. We need to be in this world, but not of it. Glorify God and pray for the lost. This brings me to verses 8 and 9. Above all things, keep, love, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, love does not make sin okay. It does not ignore it, or just, you know, make it okay. Um, we, and we don't have to accept it. But this is not what verse 8 means. It means we are to love in spite of sin. Jesus loves the lost. He really does. And so should we. We should not let sin become up between us and others. If someone hurts you, Christian or otherwise, you remember that you are to love them first. I know that's hard at times, because as humans, we can be annoying and horrible and sometimes almost unlovable. But if we lead with love for always... We will, always, we will start to find it easier to forgive and to understand people's situations. For we should want to see people in the kingdom of God and love can only help that. One thing that can help us remember to always lead with love is, you've guessed it, I hope, <laughs> hope we're getting there, to live fully for the glorification of God. Verse 9, show hospitality about grumbling. This for me is easy. I love spending time with people and, I, and me and Emma have spent most of our married life living with other people. I mean, right now we're living with my parents and though they are the host, we can still be hospitable towards them. Emma has the gift of hospitality and I just love spending time with people. So like I say, for us, it's quite easy. I know that not everyone has this gift and some just like a good amount of like, personal time, which is fine. These things are fine. But we are a community. And one way to do this is to host. Is spend time. Is eat together. Drink together. Learn together. Is help people in their time of need. Put them up if they need somewhere to stay. Give them a meal if they need something to eat. In the past, in Bible times, I should say, when missionaries, preachers and the like travelled, they would have stayed with host families. They wouldn't have booked a hotel. They would have eaten with people from the town, people from the church. If your leader asks you to do this, then don't grumble. And it's not a glorification to God and the chance, he, and the chance God has given you. In fact, use the time wisely. Learn from the people you spend time with. Teach the people you spend time with. Realise the blessing you could be doing just by offering someone a place to stay. Or just offering them a meal. 
Some people may find it hard to put a meal on their table every night. Just because they might be too busy. Or sometimes they just haven't got money to run short that month. Or they're having a baby in a few months and they're in a few weeks. <laughs> and they're moving house in hopefully a couple of weeks. <laughs> hint, hint, hint. But <laughs> I kid. But it's true. Emma and myself will find it a blessing to have meals cooked for us from time to time. It's not just because we want free food. But it's because we enjoy learning from you. We enjoy spending time with you. We enjoy the wisdom you've got, and we like to think you enjoy us too. But like my, and like most people, we like being cared for. So remember this. Not just a bit about Emma and myself. Uh, but all of it. Be hosp- hospitable without grumbling, and glorify God with your actions. Our actions speak louder than our words. <coughs> Gifts, they are given to us for the benefit of others and not ourselves. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Each of us has received a gift. Some of us will have the same gifts and some of us will have different. This is what meant by God's varied grace. It is by God's grace that we are alive and then some. He has then given us gifts that we can use to lift up and glorify the church. I've lost my place. <laughs> These gifts are given us by God so that we can be his stewards and, we, and see that they are used in the right place at the right time. I used to be a waiter in a number of restaurants. I was good at my job and it was something that I really enjoyed. It would not be beneficial to the restaurant or the customers if me and the chef one day decided to swap places. We would still be in the right building, but we would not be using our talents to best serve the customer and ultimately improve the reputation of the restaurant and make more people want to come in. It's like this in the church. We are to use the best use the gifts we've got. If I suddenly decided I was going to prophesy every week and just make stuff up, that's not glorifying to the church. If Emma decided she was going to lead worship, instead of being pastoral, then that's not going to benefit the church and ultimately God. This is not to say God won't give us other gifts, but that's a different matter. We're to use the gifts we have and use them wisely. We should not also hide them away. I have told this story before, but it fits here and I hear it, so here it goes. I like to give presents, and I found one for my brother-in-law Nathan for his birthday last year. I knew that he would love it. He's a massive fan of the Land Rover Defender. He also collects cufflinks. I managed to find Land Rover Defender cufflinks. It gets better. He also loves black Labradors. No, I didn't buy him a dog. (laughs) I I don't think Karen would be too happy. Um, I found wrapping paper that had Land Rover Defenders and black Labradors printed on it. So I wrapped it up, gave it to him to the present, all excited about the gift inside. He took it and with glee he said, I'm not opening it. This couldn't be better, the present can't be better than the wrapping paper. And all the time, I knew it was. Eventually, he opened it, loved it, and agreed that it was better than the wrapping. And it's like this with our gifts from God. It's all well good me saying I'm gifted in this and gifted in that. But if I don't use them, then what's the point? All the time, God would be willing me to, really on knowing that the gift he has given me are more than just a title, but a really amazing way in which we can serve the church. If Nathan never wears his cufflinks, yes, 
He has them, and we all know he has them, but he may as well not. He also won't be showing thanks to me and Emma. Now, I'm not worried about that, but if we do not use our gifts, we're not being good stewards of God's very grace and glorifying him for what he has given us. If God has given you a gift, then use it. Practice it if you can be practiced. Jump at the chance to use it if situations arise. And pray God for opportunities or for growth in your gift. If you don't think you're gifted, you're wrong. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given a gift. Each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You may not know what your gift is, but you must seek it out. You must find someone to help you discover what it is. Everyone is gifted, and we need to know what our gifts are, so we can use them to glorify the kingdom of God. Lou was there. <coughs> I'll get it. We'll get it. <laughs> Eleven goes on further to list a couple of categories in which gifts can fall under. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. The gifts which fall under speaking are not just preaching, but include others like prophesying, evangelism and testimony. We are to speak the words that God has provided us with, which one century makes an interesting observation about how speaking gifts can be used. <coughs> he says this, So the charge to speak the oracles of God applies to all who are able to teach God's word. Pastors, missionaries, Sunday school workers, youth workers, children's workers, small group leaders, counsellors, and individual Christians who can disciple one another, which does not really leave many of us out. This observation he makes basically says, we've all been entrusted to speak in the words of God to one another. And I think that is something that's really exciting and something we should not take lightly. Whether we have a chance to stand up here and preach or just share our wisdom over coffee, each opportunity is as important as the other. And we must not forget that. I would actually say the same about the gifts of service. We are all called to serve. Whether it's playing in the band, putting chairs away, making tea and coffee, doing the notices, all those types of things. All service is of equal value. And the church needs all the gifts. <clears throat> what this verse does say is that we serve by the strength of God. Our God not only gives us gifts of service, but by this, his grace... He gives us the strength to carry them out. Some people have the actual gift of service, but we all can serve. Just because you don't have the specific gift, it doesn't mean you, can't mean you can leave it to people who do. We all need to take the strength God has given us to serve each other and the church. No gift is of any less value than any other. I'm sure we can all agree that God is a pretty smart cookie. Smarter than the average bear. Okay, he's all-knowing. That should cover it. He knows who to give the gifts to, and he knows when to give them. He is all-seeing. He has a flawless plan. The gifts he has given are all important. I'm sure we've all heard the analogy of the body. The foot needs the leg. The leg needs the torso. The torso needs arms, hands, and a head. The head needs eyes and ears. Each part cannot do the job of the other. They are all needed for a fully functioning body. Same with the church. All gifts that God has given to the individuals of this church are needed. Don't miscount yourself. We need to use our gifts to glorify God. And that finally brings me back to the end of the passage and the beginning of my preach. I think I've said all the things we do should be to glorify God. Well, if not, everything we do should be for the glorification of God. I have a few challenges for you. I love a challenge. 
going to preach, so I hope you do too. Please, please, please find out your gift. If you don't already know, because you, you are gifted. And then use it. That goes for all of us that know their gift as well. Use them. Now for the actual challenges. If you don't already have someone who you're accountable to, I want you to find someone. I want you to ask someone if they'll point out if you think, if they think that what, there are some things you do that are not glorifying to God. This is not a chance for people to have a go or point out flaws, but act out of love and help each other with the walk of God. Ask someone you know and trust and you know loves you. Those who are asked, please only act out of love for that person and God. Second challenge, give me a bit of background first. I used to hang around with some, some Christian friends who swore a lot. I did not really take notice until one day a non-Christian pointed out that people swearing the most were the Christians in the room. And that is something that Christians shouldn't do. Brennan Manning said this, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyles. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. My challenge to you is find a non-Christian. It's not hard, there's a lot of them. And you want to find one, again, that you know loves you and you trust. Someone close to you, not just a random person at work or a random guy on the street. Ask them what they expect of Christians. And if there's anything you do that does not glorify the God you say you, you serve. Now, I cannot stress this more. Ask someone you know you for sure loves you and won't just poke holes. Someone who knows you well. This is an exercise definitely not to be taken lightly. And it is so... It is so to see how you are viewed by Christians and non-believers. I think it is important to know how we are viewed by the outside world with regard to the walk of our walk with God. The people I used to know who were swearing as part of their vocabulary did not have a problem with it. And actually at the time, nor did I. But we did not realise the impact it was having on those around us. Their actions most of the time were glorifying to God and they were generally good witnesses of his love. But on this occasion, their actions made their faith look a bit flaky, a bit weak. We need to be strong in our faith and show people we're fully living for him. Now, it would not be right for me to set these challenges and not live them myself. Firstly, I am accountable to a couple of people and hopefully they'll pull me up if they see me doing things that don't glorify God. Secondly, I have not asked them yet, but I have someone in mind who... I'm sure will be able to tell me what they think of my faith and how I act out in it. Um, finally, and this is a, a bold one, I'm going to say here today, if anyone thinks they see me doing things that do not glorify God, then tell me. This is not an excuse to be me or pick holes in me. This is an opportunity to help me grow. To open up myself like this may be risky. I feel that if I want to grow and learn to walk with, close with God, it is something I'm willing to do. So please be honest with me, but remember, love first. This is also not an invitation to tell anyone about their actions in this way. Please only have the conversations with people who have allowed you to speak into their lives in such a way. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The world will sit up and take notice when we are different. We need to be different so that we can change the world and bring others into God's kingdom. Is the way in which you're living glorifying to God? As I finish, can I invite the band to come up? And I'll pray.
Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given me today to preach to my lovely church. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to come today and worship you. Lord, I really want to pray and ask that you will reveal to everyone what their gifting is. I want to pray that you will you encourage everyone to use their gifts, Lord. I pray you'll give them opportunities and times to grow in their gifting so we can start glorifying your kingdom more. And on to that, Lord, I really want to pray that as a church and in, as individuals, we'll start living your way. We'll start living by your will and we'll start just living to glorify you. Let our actions be the ones that you want us to do, Lord. I pray. Amen. So let's start living for God and let's start to worship him right now. <laughs> 